So I thought this morning some of you might be suffering from CIOD. Have you heard of that? CIOD, Christmas is over disorder. Have you heard of that? Um, so I- instead of enjoying the last few days of Christmas, you're, you're, already, you're already sad because you know there's 363 days until the next Christmas, right? CIOD, Christmas is over disorder. If you have that, you'll find yourself sitting on the couch. You will be staring at the Hallmark Channel hoping for another Christmas movie marathon. I'm sure that they will do it for you at some point. But if you missed all the Hallmark Christmas movies, if you saw one, you saw them all, right? You check the weather. Um, If you suffer from CIOD, you check the weather a lot. You're hoping for cooler temperatures so that you can reenact Christmas Day. I thought about that. We should probably do that. Like in February when it's cold for one day, we should just pretend like it's Christmas all over again, right? No. You might look a lot like, um, we got a couple pictures of some sufferers of, some, of CIOD. This is a sufferer of CIOD. And then maybe even this, this guy here. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not trying to make light of actual disorders. Um, and I'm not trying to make light of, of really, some people really do feel down after Christmas. I'm not trying to make light of that at all. I do want to say this, though. Um, this statement right up front The miracle of Christmas is never over for people of the cross. It's never over for people of the cross. Um, I want to tell you this. Jesus came to save. He came on a mission. And and he came to fulfill prophecies about the redemption of God. Let me give you your big idea right up front. And then we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. The big idea says this. Long after receiving the gift, we still carry the promise. This is why Christmas is never over for people of the cross. Because long after receiving the gift, we still carry the promise. I think sometimes we struggle with the season of Christmas ending because we see Christmas as a temporal event instead of as an eternal event. I put this out on Facebook this past week. I said this, the day of Christmas may be over, but the mission of Christmas isn't. Luke 19.10 says this. That Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And that does not end just because we've been to the store to return the gifts that we did or did not like or did or did not fit, right? It still goes on. And I am a CIOD sufferer. I used to open the last gift on Christmas morning and instantly feel the depression of, oh, God, another another year before we can do this again. I get it. But that's because we've attached so much to a day. When we need to attach all that to a mission, the mission of why Jesus came. So we're in Luke chapter 2 today. We're doing a series, if this is your first time here with us, we're doing a series called True Story. We're, we're going through the entire gospel of Luke. Not sure how long it'll take. But today we're going we're gonna to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. And we're going to ask this question. I think this is interesting on the Sunday after Christmas. What did Mary and Joseph do after the big day? You, you get right that they, they celebrate the very first Christmas. Jesus is born in a manger. And we get the privilege of seeing what they did after the very first Christmas. Did they struggle with CIOD? I think the answer is going to be no, right? Let's just look in the Bible and see why. Um, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, I'm just going to kind of walk you through the backdrop of the story. I don't think I'll read the whole thing to you. Just kind of let you know what's going on. And I'm going to give you um, five takeaways and then we'll, we'll get out of here. So here's the backdrop, okay? Verses 21 through 40. We're just going to kind of hit the highlights. Um, we see right away that it says on the eighth day. 
So on the eighth day, this is interesting to me, many of us eight days after Christmas have already packed up all the stuff from Christmas, right? Some of you are already done now. And don't raise your hand if it's you. We're not trying to make you feel bad, right? Because sometimes you got to take advantage of the weekend you got, right? But many of us, eight days after Christmas, Christmas is, is packed up. It's in the attic or it's, it's in the shed or it's under the bed or wherever you put your Christmas. For some of you, it's, it's got a blanket over the tree shoved into the corner waiting for next year. Wherever you put it, eight days after Christmas, usually it's gone. I think this is interesting. Not for Mary and Joseph. Eight days after Christmas, they're just beginning to unpack the meaning of Christmas. It says that in verse 22, when the time of purification had come. What in the world does that mean? You have to go all the way back to Leviticus chapter 12. If you're taking notes, just write on your note sheet, Leviticus 12. You can read it later. It's like nine or ten verses long. It's really short. It explains a lot of what's going on in this passage. It explains what it means by the time of purification, which basically means 40 days. 40 days from the time that Jesus was born until this is taking place. Man, I don't know, even the most strong Christmas lovers have Christmas put away 40 days after Christmas, which ironically is Groundhog Day for us. <laughs> or Laura's birthday. You pick. You're welcome. So what did they do 40 days after Christmas? What were they doing when the time of purification came? It says that they presented him to the Lord. I think this is interesting as well. We talk about, um, you know, on January the 10th, we're going to do baby dedications, right? There's like this mass baby dedication. It's interesting that I keep thinking if, if Jesus' own parents felt like it might be important to present him back to God, I mean, maybe we should do that, right? Maybe this is even more evidence, biblically, that we should be dedicating our children back to God. Because um, my kids are fantastic. Right, even as little children, as little babies, they were fantastic. I mean, there was the occasional projectile vomiting from Will, but it just made him more lovable as other people held him. Right, <laughs> you know, like that was during the days when I was a youth pastor, and so I would hold him while I was preaching to the teenagers, and I would hold him like this, you know, like shaking him up a little bit, trying to get him to projectile vomit. I mean, my kids were fantastic, but my kids weren't Jesus. Like, Jesus' parents don't don't miss that they dedicated Jesus back to God think maybe we should be dedicating our kids to Jesus, giving them back to God, asking God to be glorified through them. And if you've you've been a part of a a dedication, you already know that it's really more about you dedicating yourself as parents to raise your children the way that God would want you to raise them. Isn't that interesting that Mary and Joseph would do that? Like, I don't know how much pressure you feel as a parent. Um, Oh God, this is my prayer all the time. Oh God, please don't Make my kids have to go to counseling. (laughs) You know? How much pressure is there when you're raising the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? It's a lot of pressure. I think we need to dedicate ourselves as parents. Um, They presented two young pigeons. Again, you got to go back to Leviticus chapter 12. What you'll find when you go back to Leviticus chapter 12 is that this this is where we first got the lyrics for um, turtle doves, right? This is where that comes from. You've been singing that song all your life. And you're like, what in the world is a turtle dove? It was the offering that poor people presented when they brought their child to the temple when the, on the 40th day to dedicate them back to God. So what we know from this is that Jesus, being God, having all the wealth of God behind him, 
was born into this world to humble, poor parents. That should probably mess with our American theology just a little bit, right? Because we're pretty sure that the way we glorify Jesus is we build him big, elaborate church buildings with the best that money can buy. And we make sure that we drive the best cars so that we can present to the world that when you love Jesus, you'll have all that you could ever want and more. And yet we don't find that here. We find two poor parents taking two pigeons because it's all they could afford. It was, the, it was the sacrifice required if you could not afford a lamb. That's what they gave. When they did that, Simeon sees Jesus. This is verses 20, 25 through 35. Simeon sees Jesus. Now, Simeon is an interesting man. He's old. We're going to meet two old people. I don't mean that offensively to anybody that might feel like you're old. I'm sure that we're talking about 100 and younger in this story, right? They're probably really, really old. He's been promised by God that he would see the promise of God. So he's hanging out in the temple. And God said, you will not die until you see my promise. I thought about, here's a man, and this is going to sound really religious, but like he's, he's the only guy I can think of that he stood with one foot in the old covenant and one foot in the new covenant when he held Jesus. How many of you ever gone to Carowinds? Like, remember when you were little, you were like, I'm standing in two states. Remember that? South Carolina, North Carolina. This is great. There's a line going right uncomfortably through your legs. <laughs> Simeon held the new covenant in his arms. As he said in a prophecy, goodbye to the old covenant. Can you imagine that? What a, what a time, what a promise to be alive. He called him the light of revelation. Simeon said he would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles, verse 32. Now, some of you here may be full-born Jews. But most of us in here, that's our verse. We're Gentiles. You don't call yourself a Gentile. You know, like, what's up, Gentile dude? But you're a Gentile. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. So I am. You are probably a Gentile. This verse is our verse. This is why Jesus came. And Simeon held him in his arms, one foot in one covenant, one foot in the new covenant, and he prophesied this. He said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light. We just sang about this light. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. This is who Jesus was. He goes on to recognize that there would be times, times, even though he's the light, there would be times of darkness. He says, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. Some would see light, some would see darkness. He even says to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. And then Anna sees Jesus. She's lived as a widow in the temple. She was married for seven years when her husband died. And the rest of the time she spent from that time until she's 84 years old. In the temple. It says she never left. She never left the temple. She stayed there. She fasted. She prayed. She worshiped. And then she saw Jesus. This is not going to be one of the takeaways, but it's not a bad one. A lot of us want to see Jesus, right? I mean, don't you pray that? Oh, God, please show up in my life. I want to see you. I want to know your will for my life. We never worship. We never fast. We never pray. 
and we expect to get what Anna got. She saw Jesus. My guess is a life of worship, fasting, and prayer is the key to that. She put herself, we, we, she put herself in a position to see Jesus. And she did. And what happened when she saw Jesus? She started telling everybody. She gave thanks and she spoke about the child. Verse 38, she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She told everybody about Jesus. Let me give you five takeaways. So this is takeaways about how to live with the promise. That's what you and I are doing. We're living with the promise. And, and I want to be clear that you understand that Jesus is the promise, right? The promise is not riches. It's not a, a political office. It's not a great job. It's not a really nice house. Um, the promise is not that you'll get the feels every time you're with us in church for worship. I mean, all those things are great, and they may happen. They may not happen. But the promise that we're talking about is Jesus. When Simeon held Jesus, he said, I'm holding the promise. You can let me die now because I have seen your salvation. I'm holding this baby really awkwardly, aren't I? The head is here, just so you know. I've seen your salvation. You can let me die in peace. I've seen the promise that you said you would send. A light to the Gentiles. Hope to the Jews. Glory of God. He saw it. So when we talk about the promise, because we're going to say that word a lot. Every time I say promise, you just think, Jesus, Jesus. This is how we live as followers and lovers of Jesus. There are times also, and some of you may be in this place right now, there are times when God, in a way that only God can, gives you a promise. He gives you a specific promise. Now, Winnie and I, we've shared our testimony a couple times about how long it took us to get, well, I said to get, for us to get pregnant. I'm still waiting. Um, how long it took Winnie to get pregnant, right? We've shared that testimony many, many times. And, and the key moment for us, key moment, happened when, when she was approached by a woman in another church where we served at the exact same time that I was in the prayer room praying to God. And he gave us the exact same promise through two different ways. One, my, I was praying and he said, dragged me to a scripture she was talking to a friend and her friend said this is going to sound weird but I think God wants me to say this and the promise was this time next year you will hold a child well we got two promises so we had twins right that's how it works <laughs> and sometimes we get a little bit weirded out by that like well I don't know if I can believe that God can do that whatever I think God's bigger than what you think and I'd say that since my sons are now 17 I have proof here's the deal there are times when God promises things to you, they have to be grounded in Scripture. So when I say how we live with the promise, yes, we're talking about Jesus. I get it. Totally get it. But some of you here, you are holding on to a promise that God has given you. It could be for the salvation of a loved one. It could be for his provision. Those are very scriptural. And you should hold on. And here's how you hold on to those. According to this passage that we're going to read right now. Here's the takeaways about how we live with a promise. And I think what you'll find is when we get to the end of this, if we live with a promise this way, all the attention, all the focus, all the responsibility of that promise goes squarely back on Jesus, goes squarely back on a sovereign God, and we suddenly realize we don't have any control over that. Our control is our position in front of him. Are you ready for these? Here we go. Five takeaways. 
That was the longest disclaimer ever. I should have talked fast like a lawyer. All right, here we go. Number one. These are all in here. I'm going to walk you through those exact same verses that we just talked about, and you'll see them. The first takeaway is that we've, we value the promise. How do we live with the promise? We value the promise. Now, we got to start back in Luke chapter 2.19 um, just to kind of get a picture for this. But it says in Luke, in Luke chapter 2.19, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So when all the stuff was happening about around the first Christmas Eve and like the angels show up, they announce the Savior's birth and there's, there's harps and music and everything and like a musical, the whole deal. And the shepherds go down and they find Jesus and they worship him. And Mary is checking all this like people, strangers keep showing up at my house in a manger and they're worshiping my baby. That's, that's weird, right? And so she just got quiet. She treasured these things and she pondered them. She treasured them. She valued the promise. Now, we don't know exactly what happened between then and day 8. And we don't really know what happened between day 8 and day 40. But how many of you are parents or have been a parent? I mean, you are a parent now raising a child or you've already raised your kids. Let me see your hands. Okay, I'm just going to take a stab in the dark here and guess that when you first had your child and you held your child in your arms and somebody came to the hospital to visit you, you didn't let them hold the baby by doing this. Here, you take a turn. Right? You were like, oh, here, no, no, just, it was that awkward, like, I'm feeling your baby's butt and your arm and I'm close to other parts of your body and I'm just trying to get the head right here and... I mean, it took you 30 minutes to pass your baby to the next person because you value your child. Mary and Joseph, no different. How did they handle the promise? They handled the promise. They valued Jesus. They held him close. They were careful with him. They treasured him. Do you treasure Jesus? Luke 2.19 says that she treasured all these things in her heart. Matthew 13.4 It's this great one-verse parable about a man who went out and he, oh, man, I totally gave you the wrong verse. We'll just take that off. That's got nothing to do with this. My bad. Totally. Don't, just look it up later, okay? It's in Matthew. Here it is. It's It's the one that, it might be verse 44. Sorry. He talks about how a man found a field and he found a treasure in the field and he fell so in love with the treasure, he buried the treasure. He went and sold everything that he had so that he could come back and buy that field because he treasured what was in the field. That's what God wants you to do with Jesus. Do you value Jesus like that? Number two, we give the promise to God. We give the promise to God. The temptation will always be there to keep the promise for ourselves, always. But that is the surest way to lose it. Mark 8, 35, hoping it's the right verse, says whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. I mean, the surest way to lose your life is simply to try to keep what you have. So we know that Mary and Joseph were poor, right? They got the two pigeons. Can you imagine being poor? And don't be offended if I call Jesus the golden goose. But can you imagine being poor and you just gave birth to the Messiah? You're holding the golden goose in your arms. You, you, he can, you can like just tell him like just make anything gold. Just change it right now. He could change their lives. He could make them wealthy beyond imagination. And they took that promise And they gave that promise back to God. 
Giving the promise back to God is us dedicating ourselves to God to be keepers of His promise. We give the promise back to God. Here's number three. We look for the promise. So Simeon and Anna spent a lot of time looking for Jesus, which means that they spent a lot of time not seeing Jesus. I mean, do you see that? She's 84 years old. How long has she been in the temple? A long time. How many times did she, did she see Jesus? Once. She spent a lot of time looking for Jesus, which means that she spent a lot of time not seeing Jesus, but she kept on looking. Are you? Are you looking for Jesus? Are you looking for the promise? Do you have eyes of faith that can see past what you see to what he's still going to do? I wrote this down. I'll just read it to you. You can throw things at me. It's all good. Do you look with faith and hope for what you know God will do? Or do you spend more time complaining about what God isn't doing? Man, like when we are looking for the promise, it doesn't matter what we see because we're looking for the promise. I've used this a couple times. It's a great illustration about the two boys that were sent to a barn and they were put in two different stalls and both stalls had this huge pile of manure with the shovel stuck in it. And the guy that was running the test came back and he looked at one of the kids and the kid was just like shoveling, just, man, I can't believe I have to shovel this manure. And he went to the other one and the kid's just like, manure's flying everywhere. And he's like, dude, what are you doing? The kid's like, man, with manure this high, imagine the pony inside it. Are you looking for the promise? Are you looking for the promise? I want to be like Simeon. I want to be like Anna. No matter how long it takes, I want to, I want to look for it. I want to look for it. I want to see Jesus everywhere. Here's number four. We proclaim the promise. This is what Anna did. As soon as she saw Jesus, she could not keep it to herself. She had to tell everybody. I saw the promise. I found Jesus. You, you've got to see this. It reminds me so much of Matthew 28, 19 and 20, when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them what I've taught you, helping them to observe what I've te- taught you. Go, go, tell, spread the gospel. And number five, we let the promise grow. There's not a lot in the Bible about Jesus as a child. Um, We're going to actually, next week, we're going to look at the last part of chapter 2, and we'll see maybe the only real story in the Bible about when he was young. There's not a lot in there. But at least can we say this, that after all this stuff at the temple, it says that Jesus went home to be with Mary and Joseph. Verse 39, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own, own town of Nazareth. And the child grew, that's Jesus, the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. They took him home. And sometimes the fulfillment of a promise takes time. The question is, are you willing to allow time for the promises of God to grow in your life? Or does he have to do it right now? Are you out? Because most of the promises of God take time. They have to grow. Jesus was the Messiah 
when he went back on day 41. But he wasn't the Messiah that we know until 33 years later. They allowed him to grow. You've got to give the promise of God time to grow. And the good news is that it will and it will happen right on time. So we're, we kind of started this morning joking about CIOD, right? Um, but many people in church fail to carry the promise because they see the event of Christmas, but not the eternal end Christmas. And I want to save you from that. I want to make sure that you don't walk around glum because the day of Christmas is over and you miss that we are called as lovers and followers of Jesus long after we've received the gift to carry this promise. We carry it in faith because there is no doubt that God will come through. I love this from Christmas Eve. We talked about this, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Everybody say cannot. It cannot overcome it. So I realized this, we're, we're driving home yesterday, we're in the car, and it's, it's night, you know, and we're driving up I-77, coming back from Columbia, and we're all just dog-tired, you know, we got Christmas music on, and we're trying to sing and be cheerful, the whole deal, and, and I don't know if you saw it last night or not, but the moon last night was amazing. If you were inside, like in a food coma, you missed it. But we couldn't help but see it because as we drove up I-77, that's what we looked at. So for like an hour and a half, that was our view. And it was, it was like Wendy at one point, she's like, I can't take my eyes off of it. And I was like, me too. That's why I was swerving all over the road. <laughs> but at one point, you know, as, as we're watching the moon, like some clouds went in front of the moon and you couldn't see it. But around the clouds, light was everywhere because it was just so full and I'm, I'm thinking it and Wendy looked at me and she's like God I, the dark clouds cannot block out the moon's light this is what it means to follow Jesus this is what it means to look for the promise and then later on we're almost home and not only did a few clouds go in front of the moon but tons of clouds went in front of the moon so much so now get this okay hang with me that you could not see the light of the moon like there wasn't little bitty things coming around the edges. It was totally gone. And not once did I pull my car over and rip my clothes and wail about how the world was going to come to an end because the moon is gone. Because I knew the moon was behind the cloud. And eventually that cloud was going to move. And I would see the moon again. This is what it means to be people that carry the promise. There will be times... In this life, maybe this next year, maybe this next week, when the clouds will move in front of that light in your life. And you will be tempted to say, where, where, where's the promise? Where it's always been. Jesus is alive. He's risen. He's our king. He is not changed. Our sovereign God does not change with whims and seasons. He's always there. Just give it some time and the clouds will move away and, oh, there he is. This is what Mary and Joseph did. This is what Simeon did. This is what Anna did. And this is what we do today. We know we've got God's promise. We don't want to look to miss it. We want to look to see it. And even when it's gone for a moment, we know that it's still there. So today... 
as we uh, prepare, even as a church, I mean, you know, like we'll be packing up the decorations and taking that tree down. I mean, you're going to go home at some point and you're going to start packing stuff up. I'm going to wait until my tree is brown, then I'll take it down. Just remember this. Even after we've received the gift, we still carry the promise. We carry, we carry the promise. Let's make sure that we carry it well.